everybody and welcome. You are listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia and across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. My name is Liam and today we are bringing you a very, very special treat for your Easter week and we hope you all are well and keeping safe in this coronavirus isolation period. And um, yeah, so today we have got a double dose of Encounter with God. We're going back in time, getting our a couple of our favorite Encounter with God episodes. And Lyle and Lawson are going to be taking you through the Word. And they are going to be finding out what it really is to... just to, They're going to try and bring you a little bit closer to God throughout this Easter weekend. So uh, just after this, I'll be handing over to them. This is a reminder, you're listening to the Delayed Broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. So, Lyle Lawson, over to you. Yes. This is the Teachers with Run. Savior all my days 
Welcome back, guys. That was the Teachers with Run here on Faith FM as we head into today's Bible study. Okay, so uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 5. And Lawson, I wonder whether you can read for us the first four verses, please, and we'll look at the political background behind what is taking place here and why it is that Belshazzar, who is Nabonidus' son, who is ruling in Babylon, makes some of the decisions that he makes. Mm. All right, let's read in Daniel chapter 5, in starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the king, uh, sorry, taken from the temple of the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them while they drank from them. Oh, whoa, whoa, you go. Lawson's getting too excited. He wants to skip ahead. Not allowed to skip ahead yet because okay. we need to talk about the things that we have here. Mm hmm. Why is Belshazzar doing this? Is this just a random thing that Belshazzar is just having a drunken orgy and he's like, ah, let's use those particular uh, cups and bowls and plates and vessels. Let's use the ones from the temple in Jerusalem. Mm. It's This is not random. No. This is a carefully calculated move on Belshazzar's part. Mm. And the reason for that is because of what Cyrus the Persian is doing. Mm. You see, when this event takes place, Cyrus the Persian is camped outside the walls of Babylon. Yes. He has laid siege to the most powerful city on the planet. So here you've got walls that are about 100 kilometers in circumference. No army on earth can lay siege to walls that far around. Mm. That's the first thing that we need to note. The second thing we need to note is that there is a double row of walls. And the double row of walls are so wide that you can have chariot races on top of them. Mm. Now, any kind of walls where you can even get a chariot up there and get horses up to the top of the wall, that's pretty impressive to begin with. And the purpose for a double row, of course, is that the standard procedure in those days to um, assault a fortified city was to use a battering ram. Yeah. And so you'd build a battering ram, you would fortify the battering ram so that it could withstand assault from the walls. You would take it up to the walls and you would just start bashing, 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 day in, day out. The battering ram would just keep running. You'd just keep swapping over your soldiers that were inside who were manning it, and they would just keep smashing away until a portion of the wall would collapse, and then you would assault the breach in the wall. Mm -hmm. If you did this at Babylon and you created a breach in the wall and then you could go pouring into the city... All that would happen is that you would find yourself trapped between in a kill zone between two walls. Mm. It was it was an impregnable city. They had the river Euphrates running through it. You know, had the biggest water supply just about there was in the entire world. Nebuchadnezzar was not the kind of person to muck around in any way, shape, or form. And his city spanned the river mm. from one side to the other. He had a big bridge that went across. It was a modern bridge. It had, you know, streamlined piers lined with asphalt so that they wouldn't erode away. He had a tunnel, a cross-city tunnel underneath 
the river Euphrates. This is one of the world's big rivers. And so Cyrus the Persian has laid siege to the city, but even with the biggest and most advanced army in the world, he has no hope of taking the city. Mm. But we're going to talk about Cyrus the Persian. Yes. We're going to give some history. Where did this guy come from? Why is he assaulting this city? Why is he laying siege to the city, I should, I should say? Why would he even think that he could attempt such a thing? Cyrus the Persian came from the Persian court, a royal prince. And as a royal prince of the Persian court, he was really just a prince of a tribe. Mm. We, today we would call it a tribe. It was a small region. Persia was kind of nothing. Mm. There were a number of superpowers that were dominating the world. One of them was the Median Empire. One of them was the Babylonian Empire. Another was the Lydian Empire. And, of course, Egypt. These were your big world powers, major world powers. The Persian province was a part of the Median Empire, which was a rival to the Babylonian Empire. Mm. Now, Cyrus was the son of Darius and, uh, sorry, of uh, uh, Cambyses the Persian and Mandana, his mother, the Mede. She was the son of Astyages, who was the ruling Median ruler. It was his father, Cyaxares, who had... Um, formed a coalition with the Babylonians to destroy the Assyrians and formed a political alliance with Nebuchadnezzar by marrying his daughter Amatus to Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. Just to keep to follow the family tree right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then Astyage is the Mede. He is uniting all of the provinces within his empire, so he takes his daughter Mandana and marries her off to Cambyses the Persian, and they have a son by the name of Cyrus. When Cyrus comes along, the Magi come to Astyage the Mede, and they prophesy that one day Cyrus will take the kingdom. Mm. Astyage the Mede decides that, and this is where it really does get a whole lot like the plot from you know, Game of Thrones or something like this. In fact, my presentation on this is called Game of Thrones because it's very Game of Thrones-esque. It's like a very, very dark plot yes. that takes place. Astyages the Mede decides there's no good that this uh, Persian kid will one day take his throne or be a threat to his throne in any way, shape or form. And you've got to remember what we've been saying all along, that these world emperors only lived because of the level of paranoia that they were able to maintain. Mm. So any perceived threat, if the Magi are saying that this guy will one day be a threat, then you need to eliminate the threat. It's as simple as that. And so he sends his general, um, a man by the name of Harpagus, to destroy or to kill Cyrus, this young baby who's just been born. Mm. It's pretty cold. Yeah. Harbagus, who is a battle-hardened veteran of many military campaigns, still doesn't like the idea of taking the life of a child. Mm. As he's leaving the city with the child, he bumps into somebody he knows, a man by Mitridates, who is a shepherd, a peasant. But they know each other. And so he gives the child to Mitridates, gives him the order, Take this child, kill this child, and bring me the body 
as proof that you have done the deed. Because mm. he just doesn't, you know, who really wants to take the, the life of a baby? So Mitridates, the shepherd, takes the child home. And, of course, his orders were to strangle, strangle the child and to kill it. But when he gets home, he found that his wife, in his absence, had given birth to a stillborn child. with Stand Up. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM and we're in our encounter with God section. Okay, so uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 5. And the stillborn child that she has given birth to is a boy. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's rewind. In his absence, he didn't know that she was about to give birth? Oh, no, he would have known that she was pregnant and about to give birth. Yeah, for sure. But he was just like out. Well, he's just been given this order by the general, mm. and you don't disobey the general's orders. Yeah. You know, go take the child, kill the child, and return the uh, body to me. Dang. Okay. He gets home. His wife has given birth. It's a stillborn child. He takes the stillborn child, gives it to uh, Harpagus, the general, mm. uh, and says, yes, I've uh, done the deed. Mm. Here is the evidence that I've done the deed. And, of course, you know, newborn babies, they all look the same. 
Yeah. Don't they? You agree with me? Like, I have absolutely no experience in, in that um, <laughs> in that field. I think all the guys out there are going to like, yeah, of course, newborn babies all look the same, red and shriveled up and kind of ugly. Um, and all the mothers are out there like, what are you saying? They're all so individual and all so different and they're all so beautiful and adorable. But anyway, uh, these are guys we're dealing with. Mm. You know, guys that are vaguely aware that when they have children that there are some shorter people that live in their house. <laughs> You know, and so they're not going to be able to. Hi, I'm uh, Harpagus is the general's not going to be able to tell the difference yeah, between one newborn and another. I'm like, yeah, it just you know, it's a different baby, but probably just yeah. And so here's what happens: Cyrus the Persian prince is raised by peasants as a shepherd mm. in a foreign land. Very interesting. Mm. Problem with a story like this: it's kind of big. Yeah. You're raising the Prince of Persia in your home <laughs> and you're a nobody shepherd. Mm. It's one of those stories that's bound to leak out. Yes, of course. And eventually it does leak out. And there's a whole complicated story that Herodotus goes through, which may or may not be true. He's known as the uh, the father of history, but he's also known as the father of lies. <laughs> uh, but there's a whole complicated story as to how the... Um, the story actually leaks, leaks out. Mm. But the long and the short of it is it leaks out. The plot is found and discovered. And so Astyages, who had called for the death of Cyrus, finds that his general Harpagus has let him down mm. badly. How do you think that he now feels towards Harpagus? Um, probably the same way like Nebuchadnezzar felt to all of his nobles. Yeah. These so. guys, these guys, you have to remember, they were they had been modelled the Assyrian method of ruling the world, mm. and so he sees this taking place. He's like finds it all out. The political climate has changed so that he is now lo- no longer able to take the life of Cyrus. Mm. So Cyrus, at the age of twelve, he is discovered and goes back to live in the Persian court with his biological parents and is raised as the prince of Persia. Mm. Astyages, of course, is fuming in the background, but he tells Harpagus, I forgive you. Come over to uh, my place for dinner and we'll put this all behind us. So Harpagus and his wife, they head over there to uh, to the royal palace and they're going to enjoy dinner together. And uh, if you are squeamish, now is the time to turn your radio off. It was at this moment Harpagus knew he messed up. No, it was just a little while later. Oh, okay. Because what had happened in the background is that Astyages the Mede had arrested Harpagus's son, who was about 12 years old, had executed him, and served him cooked in the meal to Harpagus. I told you it was Game of Thrones. I s- like, I forgot. Just how gnarly like, this was. Oh, it's so bad. And, of course, at the end of that meal, they revealed to, and I won't go into all of the gory details how it happened, but uh, you probably at this point it tops Game of Thrones because they ask Harpagus whether he's enjoyed his meal. And he's like, yeah, oh. it's good food. And then they're like, well, did you? would you like to know what it was that you were eating? And um, it's revealed to Harpagus. 
and he doesn't say anything. Is this a true story? Is this part of the story true? Because okay. he's the father of father of yeah, this is Herodotus. Okay. This is coming from Herodotus. Now, part, parts of the story we know to be true because they are verified by the Bible. Yeah. Okay. So Cyrus being raised as a Persian, Cyrus the Persian being raised as a shepherd and so forth, is confirmed in the Bible. The Bible calls Cyrus mm. a shepherd. Yeah. Okay. And so here's the thing with Herodotus. Herodotus is writing, you know, three, four hundred years after the events. Mm. And so they're going to be clouded by a period of history. Mm. At the same time, we know that this is not actually unbelievable for the time Mm. period in which it is happening. It is absolutely believable. And even though the details were probably covered or coloured somewhat over that time period, the basic facts came from something. Mm. There, there was a basic story to this at some point. So Harpagus doesn't say anything. And then we come to um, some facts of history. Yes. Cyrus, as a young man, rebels against his grandfather, Harpagus. He has a small province, as the ages, his grandfather. He has a small province of Persia behind him. Mm. As the ages raises the Median army Mm. and puts it into the field of battle. It is about to completely dominate and overwhelm Cyrus's Persian forces. Mm. However, at the head of Astyage's army is his general Harpagus. Mm. And right there on the battlefield, Harpagus leads the Median army straight across to the Persian side. Yeah, well. He defects to Cyrus. Now, that's a fact of history. Yeah. And if you look at the, at the law of cause and effect, Harpagus deserting his master and his king, Astyages, and defecting to Cyrus is the effect. Mm. There is a cause for that. There is a cause, and we have a reason. Absolutely, and so it adds a lot so of weight. It adds heavy. a lot to weight of weight to the story. Mm. So this is pretty heavy stuff that is going on. This is how Cyrus comes to power, and in this whole process, what we find is that Cyrus is coming to power as a type. That's a theological word for like a symbol of Jesus Christ. Mm. And we're going to find that Cyrus the Persian comes to power and forms an empire that is vastly different from anything that has ever been modelled before. So if you look at the Median Empire, if you look at the Lydian Empire, if you look at the Egyptian Empire or the Babylonian Empire, which is the dominant empire at this period of history, you find that all of these empires, what has been modelled to them is the Assyrian form of government. Mm which is ruling with a professional army and sheer terror and publicizing that terror everywhere they go Mm. and stating simple facts of history. You know, Herodotus is your movie script writer, whereas, you know, he loves to, you know, he tells the story and and colors in all the details. It's in vivid vivid color when Herodotus turns up on the scene. Uh, But the Persians, you know, the 
Syrians in particular don't do that. It's like, yes, we conquered the king. We cut off his arms. We cut off his legs. We we cut out his eyes and butchered his, you know, skinned his sons in front of him. And you know, and, and then you know, so it's all these just the gory facts. And then they and then they'll, they'll write that up. And then in case you don't know how to read, they'll do a big billboard picture of it carved in stone for you. <laughs> yeah. Cyrus comes along and he adopts the complete opposite policy. Mm. This guy is not a warrior as much as he is a deal maker and it becomes Mm. known as the Persian deal. Mm. It becomes a part of the Persian empire and how they rule the world and it's the Persian deal. Mm. And the Persian deal is actually a very, very good thing because the Persians come along and say, we are your liberators. We will give you freedom. They, they, they institute religious liberty in an era when religious liberty didn't really exist. And they introduce freedom. They're like, we are not going to rule you with terror. We're going to rule you with good laws, with a great constitution, and you're going to be able to prosper under our rule. We can offer you prosperity. Now, of course, if you don't want prosperity, we will go to war. Mm. And we will conquer you. And once you are conquered... We will forgive you and you will become prosperous. They were all about building a prosperous wow. empire and this was all driven by Cyrus. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord. Crown him Lord of all 
Welcome back, guys. That was All Sons and Daughters with You Will Remain. This is The Breakfast Show. So we are in our encounter with God. We go to the book of Daniel where we are going to um, be studying all about the life and times of, well, Daniel. Daniel, yeah. Daniel chapter 5 is where we are up to. This is the story of Belshazzar's feast. And, of course, don't be confused between Belshazzar and Belteshazzar. Mm. Belteshazzar is another name for Daniel. Belshazzar is the crown prince. Um, so a quick review of what we've studied so far. We've done some historical we've background. We've done a lot of context on this a lot of context and you need a lot of context for this story to understand what is actually going on we've looked at Nabonidus who was Belshazzar's father and we've looked at you know his whole relationship he was an Assyrian where he came from what he did how he was out in the desert you know meditating and being a mystic and all that kind of thing how he was not popular in Babylon and how that uh, Belshazzar his son had been ruling in his in his place we also looked at Cyrus the Persian who when this story takes place is laying siege to the city of Babylon and how he is a type of Christ and how he came into being mm. um, an, an emperor of the world and he's well on his way when this story takes place he's camped outside the city we even talked briefly about how he captured the city and how when he captured the city you know history records that he captured it without a battle Mm. He entered the city on the night of this great festival when everybody was kind of blind drunk. He, um, in a short space of time, secured the city, killed the royal guard, then put out a proclamation that everybody was to bring their weapons to the citadel and anybody who was caught armed the next day would be killed. But if you weren't caught armed, you were fine. You'd be, you'd be let off. This was, this was the Persian deal. Mm. And there's a lot of evidence to show that there were a lot of people who, you know, they were rather upset with Nabonidus and Belshazzar and saw Cyrus as being a good alternative, and so they did not see any need to to rebel against Cyrus. But there is more to the story than just that. Mm. Because Cyrus, I mean, Belshazzar does something very specific in the story we need to talk about. One more piece of historical context before we get there. Yes. Nabonidus was unpopular with the Babylonians. Okay. He's an Assyrian. He's worshipping a different god. He's trying to change the gods uh-huh. of the Babylonians. And he has not been honoring their god Marduk at his annual festival. Mm. So he's had this, you know, 10 years of self-imposed ex- exile out in the desert. Well, not self-imposed. Yeah, but he's out there doing his mystical thing and letting his son, who is half Chaldean or Babylonian, Mm. run the empire. And so his son is the one who goes to the temple in place of you know himself and so forth and just figures, well, you know, maybe this will be a little bit more stable. When the Persians invade, the Persian deal is good. Yeah. And, you know, they're offering the Persian deal to everybody. And so Nabonidus has to have a way of counteracting the Persian deal. Yes. One of the things that he does is go through all the cities of Babel, of the Babylonian Empire and take all the gods. Mm. And you've got this huge procession, and, and it's been depicted on you know various artworks and, and so forth, this huge procession of wagon loads and wagon loads of gods. Mm. He's raided all of these all of his own cities and taken their gods and taken, taken them to Babylon, and he's holding them there hostage. 
And it goes a little bit like this. If you want your gods back, you will fight for me. Because I have your gods hostage in the city of Babylon. Now, Babylon can't be taken. Uh, it's an impregnable city. And so he has this very, as, as, as a very unique, <laughs> it's a very unique strategy to counteract the Persian deal because they're looking at the Persian deal and going, you know, this is better than the Babylonian deal. Um, let's go with Cyrus and Sarah and and and, and Nabonidus is like, well, we have your gods. If you want your gods back, if you want to see your gods again, we have them. You will fight for us. Oh man, well didn't that backfire, jeez. <laughs> And so there's almost this policy that Nabonidus and Belshazzar have of demonstrating their control over everyone else's gods. Okay, so it's starting to to shed a bit of light on what's happening in chapter 5. Yeah. Okay, so in chapter 5, and we've read it so far, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look at it again. Here's what happens. On the night of this annual festival... Mm. Belshazzar, you know, obviously he's going to have a big festival. It's going to be, you know, right across Babylon, etc. And the city is full of everybody's gods. Mm. There's one god that is missing. Yahweh is missing. Yeah, sure. There's no image of Yahweh. Mm. And even if there was, Nebuchadnezzar probably would have captured that image a long time ago and brought it to Babylon because the entire population of Judah has been taken into exile. Mm. But at this time, there was no, like, Ark of the Covenant even or no, anything. No. There was... But we don't know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. We don't know. But there was just, like, from what it says here, there's just, like, I cups. Could, I could, I could um, talk conspiracy theories on that one, but we won't. Um, we won't get too sidetracked. So, the, the, so, so he's like, okay, so there's nothing... Uh, so how do, we, how do we demonstrate... So the first thing he has to do is he has to demonstrate um, his power... Over Yahweh, because you know all the other gods, it's clear you know he's got power over them because they're in the city with him. He's captured them, and so when he has this festival, one of the reasons why he singles out the vessels and the cups and the you know plates and so forth from the temple in in, in Jerusalem is that um, it gives an opportunity for him to demonstrate his power over Yahweh. This is the kind of the best that he can do in this particular situation. Mm.
precious blood he shed For me his life he Faith FM want to encourage you to share God's love with those around you, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Check on your neighbours, especially elderly neighbours, as they may be unable to visit the shops or see family due to quarantines. A phone call, a note under the door offering support or a letter in the mailbox is the best way to make contact with our older folk and vulnerable people who may be self-isolating. Little things like this make a huge difference to someone who might be struggling to get by.
load of care Precious Savior still our refuge Take it to the Lord in Lift up your eyes 
this place their home. Across the oceans we will fly, leaving worldly gain behind to hear the Savior's praise awake across the globe. Do you enjoy fantastic food, fun, friends and fellowship? Sure do. Then join us at the Philos Food Hub. For $5, you can receive a large food pack with free fruit and veggies thrown in and a complimentary breakfast as well. Wow. Where? At the Adventist Church on Newcastle Road, Walls End, number 63. Is that the big iconic A-frame church near the roundabout? Sure is, and it starts 10 a.m. every Thursday. Great. I'll see you there.
bought some jeans at Target and ripped apart the pocket on Sunday. Hallelujah. Payslip on the carpet and burnt it in the market on Monday. Hallelujah. It's not my business, Jesus. I'm sure you got your reasons, so just say Hallelujah. Grandpa's got lymphoma and fell into a coma on Tuesday. Hallelujah. Couldn't pay the water bill and haven't had a shower since Wednesday. Hallelujah. Merging on the freeway, I hit a Ford Focus on Thursday. Hallelujah! Without a car, I couldn't make appointments on Friday. Hallelujah! I lost my job. Hallelujah! It's not my business, Jesus. I'm sure you got your reasons, so just say hallelujah. I came to church a beggar and found I have a savior, so just say hallelujah. I came to church a beggar and found I have a savior, so just say hallelujah.